Geek News Reviews, Commentary, not just another podcast, on the Ordinary People Broadcast. The Earth people are getting closer to that which we fear. Since they will not listen or respect our existence, they cannot help but believe our powers when they see their own dead walking round again, brought about by our advancement in such things. As soon as you have enough of the dead recruits, march them on the capitals of the Earth. Let nothing stand in your way. Their own dead will be used to make them accept our existence and believe in that fact. Now here comes your host, Kyle A. Barrett of the World Steve. Welcome to the Big Ball Broadcast, boys and girls. This is episode 44, all the geeky news you can use. Coming at you from the West Coast. My name is Kyle A. Bear. I'm an anime and video game voice actor heard on Dragon Ball Z Resurrection F, available now on Blu-ray and on demand. And your co-host from the East Coast, Otherworld Steve. I'm a historian, and you can hear me on the Big Ball Broadcast. Brought here on Smodco, Smodco Internet Radio, Smodcast.com. Oh, yeah, baby. So as you're hearing this show, it's probably after Halloween, but as we're recording it, it's not Halloween yet. So fuck all y'all if you're going to get mad about us being all Halloween, like celebrating and all that. We don't have Halloween news, but we do have we do have a little piece of uh, of retro love now. uh you, you regular listeners of the podcast know that uh, Steve and myself are, are, are big lovers of classic horror films and schlocky ones, too. But the classic universal horror films obviously hold a near dear place in our heart. If you remember Creature from the Black Lagoon, uh, there was an individual individual named Ben Chapman who wore the suit um, during some of the underwater scenes. All right. Right. Is that a on the land scenes? Uh, Rico Browning wore the suit in the water. OK. All right. So anytime you see Creature of the Black Lagoon on land, it was Ben Chapman and then Rico Browning did the underwater scenes. OK. So and they both weren't credited at the time because Universal wanted to keep that air of mystery about it. Um, I had, uh, the extreme fortune to meet with Ben Chapman. Um, uh, God, it must've been like a decade ago, at least right. Um, at, um, a convention in Dallas, Texas. And, uh, he was there of course, promoting the fact that he got to wear the gill suit and be a part of, uh, Hollywood history, uh, as it were probably the last living legend, um, from that ilk, you know, you had Dracula, Frankenstein, the mummy, Creature of the Black Lagoon, Wolfman, all that stuff that you can now get on Blu-ray and some some lovely remastered DVDs and Blu-ray sets with great making of features and everything. Um, I took a mini disc recorder. Yes, remember mini disc, boys and girls, that format that came and went. At the time, I was a I was a DJ, and I recorded audio and I, I interviewed Ben Chapman, and uh, we have the audio right here for you. We're going to play. Uh, so it's the older audio. He is no longer with us. Rest in peace, Ben Chapman. Uh, but the legacy lives on forever. So um, I talked to him about uh, the making of process. And uh, here's some fascinating trivia for you guys. Right here. We filmed it in the months of October, November 1953. It was released, I believe, in April of 1954. So technically next year, October, will be our 50th anniversary. And the thing that makes it tough is that once you get into the costume, you can't get out. You're in for the whole day. 
It was basically a one-piece body stocking, and all the uh, pieces were molded and then put on. They made a plaster of Paris impression on my whole body, and then they would just stick it onto the costume. It took about two to three hours getting in and out. I was a contractee at Universal, and I came in one day, and one of the casting directors asked me, Benny, have you heard, or has a studio approached you on this new movie that they want to make? Because I know that you're half fish, and it's something about a creature in the Amazon. They, that was it, being in the right place at the right time. I was going to follow in the footsteps of Boris Karloff, Frankenstein, Bela Lugosi, Dracula, Lon Chaney, Phantom of the Opera, Chaney Jr. did Wolfman, and now this is the 50s. And I think, oh my God, most actors can use facial expressions when they go into a certain mood. And I couldn't because I had a mask on. So I had to start using body language. Once you get into the character, then you become him. Once I put the suit on, I'm... Oh, that's so cool. I love it. I love it. it, it it's so neat to, to, to get to, to meet the guy and, um, you know, got his autograph and got some memorabilia and everything. And um, I sent you the autograph too, right? You got a, a signed something? You did. You, you sent me a Gil Buck. Um, for those who don't know what that is, it's a uh, photographic reproduction of the $1 bill. But instead of having Washington in the middle, it's a picture of the Gil Man. And uh, he always used to sign it, the real Gil Man. And real was in quotes. And it was R-E-E-L, like a, a film reel. Shortly after that um, is when I started really getting passionate about some of the, the older, schlockier uh, horror films. And I reached out to Ben Chapman on email. He, he uh, resided in Hawaii, Honolulu, I believe. And I reached out to him in an email and asked if he would sign my Creature from the Black Lagoon poster. It's a reproduction poster. It's certainly not from the era. Um, but the coolest thing about him ever and I'll never forget this, is he responded to the email with his phone number, and he said, why don't you give me a call? And uh, that was just so incredible. And I got to speak with him briefly on the phone, and he was so courteous and so kind and just so interested that the younger generation was picking up on what he did. And uh, so needless to say, I I have my poster signed by both him and uh, Julia Adams, who who played the, the female lead, and I've kind of joked from time to time that, you know, it's unfortunate that, that Ben Chapman passed, but it does kind of help with the, the value of that signature on the poster. And I'm kind of waiting for the news that Julie Adams passed and then I'll throw this fucker up on eBay. No, I kid. I totally kid. Right. Yeah, yeah. I, I spoke out of turn. Yeah, Julie Adams is still on the convention scene, so you can actually still get a, a piece of classic universal horror history if you can catch her at a show. Yeah, she, she's up in age, but um, still out there. Looking good. Man, she was fine back in the day. Oh, absolutely. And and for Creature of the Black Lagoon in particular, she's running around in a bathing suit the whole time. So, yeah. Yeah, and it's uh, it's 3D. So if you like the, the schlocky 3D stuff, put in that on your, on your TV and put on the glasses and go back to yesteryear. And being the schlock artist that I am, I love the whole trilogy. You know, I, I think if you're going to check it out, check out all three. And if you go over to my amazing, incredible website... Uh, Killer Bees with Otherworld Steve. That's ebe-records.com slash B. Um, I have links available for you to check out all three of those movies for free online. Lots of great trivia. Um, I like uh, what you, you posted on our Facebook page and our Twitter account about the, the trivia about Ed Wood. Uh, some very interesting factoids and stuff. So if, if this is up your alley, definitely check it out. And even if it's not, it'll probably become your alley, as it were. I have now watched 102 of these horrible schlocky B movies. I don't know if you should applaud me or just weep for me. No, I, I weep tears of joy. 
You know, there, there, there's lots of legitimately horrible ways to, to spend your time. But I think watching old cinema that everyone probably thought they were in Ed Wood. You know, they thought they were making cinema gold and it's more like a cinema turd. But, you know, done with all the passion, just like, you know, all the great filmmakers, they just didn't have the budget. I watched a uh, Ed Wood documentary on YouTube last night. And, you know, it's funny how within the last few years, people have really turned around on, on how they feel about his films, where, you know, I, I think Plan 9 get a lot of notoriety because it was voted the worst movie in uh, the Golden Turkey Awards book. But since people have, have watched these films uh, directed by Ed Wood, and they said, you know, his are probably the most heartfelt. They're probably the most sincere. They're probably the most genuine of these schlocky movies from the fifties because he had that passion. He had that drive. He, he really wanted the uh, audience to appreciate it where some producers may have kind of been in it for a buck. Right. Yeah. And uh, if you don't know who Ed Wood was, just definitely Google it and, and check out Steve's awesome website, as well as the Tim Burton flick with Johnny Depp, Ed Wood, a, a, a really great love letter to that filmmaker and, uh, Martin Landau, who's no longer with us as, as the great, late, great Bella Lugosi in that. Just, a, just an awesome, awesome movie. And uh, George the Animal Steel as Tor Johnson. Can't forget that. Oh, yes. All right. So um, we, got some, um, we got some email, right? You guys um, can obviously send your feedback, comments, questions, and suggestions on social media at BB Broadcast or on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash bigballbroadcast. Or if you feel like, you know, Saying something a little bit longer, you could always drop us an email, thebigballbroadcast at gmail.com or bigballbroadcast at gmail.com. Steve checks both, and he checked both, and uh, looks like someone wrote us. We have an email. Email to email. All, all to email. This one comes to us from Chaz M, and he says, hey, guys. Oh, this is Hero004, actually. Hero004 uh, says, hey, guys. I have a last-minute question for tonight's show. This was for last week's. We apologize. (laughs) I was wondering what you guys uh, may have been expecting for the Star Wars galaxy to be like 30 years post-Return of the Jedi versus what it turned out to be. For example, I was picturing more of a big, happy New Republic with Luke's big, happy New Jedi Order and a bunch of happy Jedi Solo Skywalker cousins running around. Thanks, Hero004. Well, I guess things definitely started taking a turn when you, when you saw Disney saying, throw out the, the expanded universe, you know, that's no longer canon. So we're going we're gonna to do something else. And people have been holding that near and dear to their hearts, you know, forever, ever since the heir of the empire from um, Timothy Zahn and that, that great trilogy. And everyone just held on to that. And it's like, Lucas said, all right, well, yeah, I'm probably never going to get around to that. So yeah, yeah. You know, whatever happens after Jedi. Yeah. Go ahead and do that. Just don't touch before. Because we'll probably do the prequels at some point. But I don't know if I'll do, I'll do 7, 8, and 9. And then, of course, time passes, attitudes change, and then uh, you sell off a multi-billion dollar company to a, to a bigger multi-billion dollar company. And then suddenly your involvement is a lot less than it was. And, and then here you are, right? Um, you know, we, we, got, we got our first glimpse of Force Awakens episode seven what a year ago i think the first teaser dropped around thanksgiving and uh man everything about it just felt right and i don't think it was coming from a place of thank god it's not the prequels it's more like legit i think jj abrams tapped right into 
turning you into a kid. Even Kevin Smith, who's been fortunate enough to see some footage, early footage, and even visit the set, says, I cried and I turned into a kid instantly, you know, seeing what I saw. Of course, he, you know, signed an NDA and he can't talk about what he saw exactly yet, but I can totally believe that. I never in my life had my eyes well up watching a trailer ever. And I was a little touched by the the first one, the teaser with, with Hans line about being home. Um, but I don't think it really hit me until this last full trailer. And I, I kind of did, I kind of cried like a bitch, but I don't feel guilty about that. Um, you're right. It doesn't feel like, well, it's better than the prequels. It, It feels like a love letter. It feels like, yeah, it feels like home. It's like Han Solo says, damn it. Um, yeah, all that speculation's out there, and we're, we're not going <laughs> to talk about all the spoilers, this, that, and the other. We want to really badly, unless you want to, and then we'll just warn the hell out of the listeners to avoid our spoiler talk. I honestly still don't really know any spoilers, and even the stuff that I've read online as recent as today still says, you know, we don't know jack shit about the plot, so take it for what it's worth. Um, I read something particularly in response about why we haven't seen Luke yet. And uh, they do feel it's ridiculous if anybody's holding on to this idea that Luke's Kylo Ren is just not possible. I'll say what I said last week. I really think his reveal is going to be pretty powerful for the story. And that's why he hasn't been a big deal yet. And why the fuck not give uh, these new actors some screen time and start building up their legacy? Obviously, Star Wars fans are very, very passionate. If you go to any convention, you see a lot of Star Wars cosplay and everything. But if you're saying to yourself, okay, I sat there on the day that the tickets went on sale and the servers crashed for Fandango and all the ticket servers and everything, uh, I'm, I'm going to dress up as the characters. You may want to think twice because it uh, looks like certain theater chains are uh, taking the uh, recent uh, theater shootings very, very seriously. Uh, and that's going to affect your ability to cosplay for the, uh, the, the screenings. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately right now this is primarily uh, having to do with the theater chain Cinemark, which I haven't heard of in my area. I don't know how widespread they are. Yeah. They're nationwide. Yeah. They're they're another national chain like AMC and whatnot. And if you're listening in the Europe or anywhere else, sorry, we don't have news about that, but North America. Yeah. So anyways, it it probably might be a good idea to either contact your theater or drive by and, and see any signage they have posted before showing up in a big elaborate costume for the premiere. Um, because this one chain in particular, they already have posters up in the windows and it states star Wars costumes are welcome. However, no face coverings, face paint or simulated weapons, including lightsabers and blasters will be allowed in the building. And there's actually been some, uh, further follow up on the Twitter account that says, uh, obviously this also goes for helmets as well. Um, and yes, this is a direct response to the theater shootings. But what I'm thinking of is, and again, I, I don't mean to go down this morbid path, but um, recently there was a big zombie convention in uh, Detroit, I believe, and everybody's dressed up as zombies. And uh, a lot of people are carrying uh, simulated weapons. And unfortunately, a shooting took place that resulted in one death. And I believe uh, five other individuals were shot. And the police said, what definitely hampered their ability to act quickly was when you look around the crowd, so many people are carrying weapons and so many of them look so real. You just can't start firing at people that are carrying weapons. So um, obviously the theater's remark about not bringing blasters to the premiere 
unfortunately, in this day and age, does make a lot of sense. It's kind of like when you go to a convention, they have this thing called peace bonding. You, you, they, they take your replica props and weapons, and they, they put some sort of band around it, or uh, you know, if, if your weapons have some sort of color-coded thing on there indicating that it is just a prop and not an actual weapon, uh, yeah, you got to buckle down and hope to avoid any future, you know, deaths or injuries or anything like that. I totally get where they're coming from. <clears throat> I mean, I'm glad that they're not totally banning the cosplay out of it because, you know, that, that, that's part of the fun. You know, people like going to the conventions. They like going and enjoying these pop culture events. You know, I don't see how dressing up as a character, I mean, the mask thing. Yeah, that could be problematic if, you know. The bad guy has a weapon and he doesn't want to be seen on surveillance cam. So he's just going to dress up like Kylo Ren and then, you know, all hell breaks loose. I get that. As a direct result of what's happened in both the the very near past and and the somewhat distant past, it it makes sense. I hope you're not hassling your, your local theater chain about this being unfair and your constitutional rights being trodden upon. Because believe it or not, kids, they're doing it for you. They're doing it for your safety. Just be happy you have a new Star Wars movie. Just, you know, just be thrilled. And if you're saying to yourself, I'm not going to go out there and spend all that money and fight the crowds and all that stuff. I want to wait for Netflix. Well, turns out if you're in North America, at least in the United States, and Europe, for that matter, if you think in Netflix is a great outlet to watch your new Star Wars movie at some point next year, you may want to think again. If you're a Canadian, rejoice, because in 2016, the next installment of the Star Wars saga will be available to stream on Netflix. According to Variety, The Force Awakens will hit Netflix in Canada, quote, approximately eight months after the movie leaves theaters. Now, a lot of people ask, of course, why Canada? Well, apparently it comes down to prior agreements that Disney's made with stars and uh, how Disney films appear. So it's, it's actually kind of wild that a agreement that was written a while ago would have such a dramatic impact now. And I've been reading some speculation. I don't think anything has been confirmed for Netflix, but some speculation kind of made it sound like there was a chance North America may not have it streaming at all. Um, I don't know where that stands. When you're talking eight months after the film, is that a realistic timeline to start talking DVD and Blu-ray? I honestly don't know. I guess it really depends on how successful it is theatrically. Um, So congrats, Canadians, but I don't think I'm necessarily going to lose any sleep about it. I'm thinking that the fans, streaming or not, they're going to go out there and buy that hard copy, DVD or Blu-ray, because that's just what fans do yeah as we as a nation are moving more towards tech oriented streaming and 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 cloud you know hosting and this that and the other but i think the star wars fans still like going and get a go to a brick and mortar store stand in line get their copy with a limited packaging this that and the other blah 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 and yeah an eight month window sounds pretty decent for a turnaround you know i could totally see this because it's coming out in december i could see it coming out next summer easily yeah that would put probably put us about the end of august which i guess makes some sense i'm still confused about this december 18th release i don't know how uh parents are expected to fulfill their children's christmas list with one week between the premiere of the movie and christmas day so i I think that kind of to a certain extent shoots them in the foot with some merchandise sales yeah you know it it takes a year or longer, from my understanding, for merchandise, for action figure molds to be approved, and, and you know, the, all this stuff happens overseas. 
and you know with the with the different waves of releases and you may not see merch from a good portion of the movie until you know in the new year well after christmas i mean yeah there's plenty of new force awakens merchandise to be had now um but you know they say that's just scratching the surface of the movie it's not even really spoilers you know and kudos to them for not you know having the packaging saying well this happens when this character gets killed and they're like oh thanks 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 for telling me guys i know i've said it a lot before but i have to throw it out there one more time i don't know how the fuck abrams and disney and mean to do this but good job good on you i fell prey to it man i got a kylo ren force effects lightsaber and a giant figure and the the bb-8 app control little droid and i don't know where that's gonna stop man you know i was watching uh the tested channel over on YouTube tested, uh, which, uh, Adam Savage from this Mythbusters is a part of, uh, and they had a segment where one of the prop replica companies had early access to the archives and they were able to build the new, um, stormtrooper outfits and, and have them available as a kit. And I've never considered cosplaying and I've never considered dropping a ton of money on a prop, but man, a- after I keep looking at the first order, helmets and everything i'm like fuck i might break down and at least buy a helmet that i could put on a stand and kind of proudly display in my home speaking of youtube you know they've just launched their um subscription model and uh, it's called youtube red red just like the color and um i guess 9.99 a month will get you um kind of a, a subscription to um youtube content yeah, and, you know, I guess that really doesn't sound too bad when you have other very successful models like uh, Hulu and Netflix. What gets me, and I don't want to take up the remainder of the show just talking about this, so kids, please Google it. Every fucking tech site in the world's talking about it. That's when they kind of bullet point it. Um, what YouTube's doing to its content providers, uh, and especially those that have some decent uh, subscription numbers, is... They're essentially, I don't want to say holding their content hostage, but they're really putting a gun to the content provider's heads saying, join YouTube Red or your videos will not be available in the U.S. on the free YouTube service. And this created quite a bit of backlash. And believe it or not, Disney was one of the first to respond. Now, Disney owns ESPN. And as of the announcement from YouTube... Uh, ESPN has made all of their videos private and they're like, don't fucking put a gun to our head because we'll just pull your content. And then now you won't make any money from the ad revenue at all. Good God. That's uh that's pretty wild. But I mean, YouTube is the kind of the future they're, they're leading the way they're up there in terms of popularity alongside Facebook and everything. And I guess someone's going to start laying down some rules, being all controversial and shit because yeah. That's what made YouTube always great was that it was accessible to anybody on any budget at any time you could provide content. And yes, I understand that for your model to be sustainable, you have to have some kind of income. But this is fucking Google that owns YouTube, and I don't think they're too worried about the money that they're earning. Um, it it kind of feels like a dick move because, yeah, you're going to have this paid content, but it's not shit like on Netflix and Hulu. It's not network television shows. It's not originally uh, uh, provided content from big studios like like Marvel over on Netflix. Their big fucking launch uh, 
with their page things to show by PewDiePie. And I'm not making fun of him for what he does or anything. And, and kudos to, to him for being able to do it. But that doesn't justify to me making all these channels have to hop over to this fucking page thing. And uh, now I'm not going to be able to see a lot of content I've been following for, for years and have been a subscriber and interacting with these channels. Are there ads? If, you, if you're paying for YouTube Red, or, or is it ad-free? If you're paying for it, there are no ads. I'm assuming that that subscription cost covers that. Well, that part's good. I know that it took forever for Hulu to come around to that. And now for, I think, a few extra bucks, you can actually bypass the really annoying, you know, 15-second repetitive ads within an hour. I'll probably be the first to complain about that. I, again, a lot of these uh, B schlocky movies I've been watching, I've been watching on YouTube. Um, a lot of them are in the public domain, but a lot of people that put them up, they'll do that. They'll have four or five uh, breaks during that one video and they get a little frustrated. But when I think about it, is it worth paying $10 a month to skip those ads? If there's five ads, um, it's still what less than a minute of advertising. I don't think I'm gonna. Well, no, really, it's like a minute and a half of advertising. But I'm not gonna cry about a minute and a half of advertising. Definitely could be worse. I still wonder why. You know, you got to wait for your video to buffer, but the ad will show up right away. Well, that, my friend, we call priorities. They do it by design. No, we want you to see this. We're gonna. <laughs> but even that, I guess, at a certain point, even the ads will stutter and freeze frame and all that. And so you exit out and you try to relaunch the video and then the same ad launches again. And then that stutters and buffers and then like, Oh shit. Well, fuck it. Fortunately, I haven't had those problems. Um, I'm also hardlined. I, I, when it comes to my computer in particular, I, I want it coming right from the source. I don't trust even Wi-Fi um, Cause I'm that particular. But again, you know, if you told me Marvel was bringing a big series over to YouTube or, something of that elk, I'd go, huh, that's the only way I'm going to see it. And then I have to pay to see it, but I'm not going to spend nine and nine a month to watch, you know, some of this ridiculous bullshit I follow on YouTube. <laughs> it's, it's not worth it. I'm sorry, kids. I enjoy wasting my time to it, but I, I don't enjoy paying for it. Yeah. Now I don't know how that, that YouTube ad revenue shares work, works, how that splits down. You know, obviously the PewDiePie's of the world and all the other successful YouTubers, They've managed to have a good business model. They've made a living off of hits and, and whatnot. And yeah, you you have all the ads and then the people try to get around it with Adblock Plus, which, you know, this is the death knell to YouTube uh, content providers because it's like, no, that's the reason I, you know, you guys come here and we're able to, you know, make money because the advertisers are, are showing you things, but you bypass that and we don't get the hits and we don't get the credit for for showing the ad, and then, ah, oh, we can't afford to do the content anymore. And if you're a really shitty person, you find one of these YouTube video download sites that are all over the interwebs that download the video for you in any format you can imagine, and it doesn't pull the ads with it. There's someone that does that? Really? No, no, Kyle. There's bunches of places. <laughs> Not just one. There's thousands. It's all free. <laughs> are they all in Russia, by chance? <laughs> uh, there's quite... Quite a few of them, and, and it doesn't just have to be the videos. You can rip test the audio because there's tons of music on YouTube as well. Oh, my God. I cannot believe it. There's so much content out there. Hey, so we mentioned a few episodes back that uh, Star Trek has a cruise. Shatner is going to be a part of it. You know, my Shatner sounded more like Jerry Seinfeld, but, you know, Star Trek cruise 
It's going to happen. And uh, if you've been sitting there dilly-dallying going, you know what? I really like to be a part of that. You're kind of shit out of luck at this point because it's sold out. I mean, I kind of feel bad for making fun of this thing because I didn't know what type of person had the money and the, the time to want to waste their time with something like this. But uh, I can tell you that this thing is straight up a, a endorsed, in, uh, endorsed, approved, and a part of CBS. And if you go over to Star Trek the com, there is actually a contest where you can win a free chance at attending this cruise. Um, it's sold out in 60 days. All their available cabins have been booked. Uh, this is the 50th anniversary of Star Trek, so they're really making this a big deal with the 50th, 50th anniversary Star Trek cruise. And this is in 2017, by the way, so you still have quite a bit of time. So jump on over to Star Trek the cruise.com. Uh, this cruise debarks from Miami, Florida. It's January 9th, 2017. It's going to be at sea for a few days, going to Cozumel, Mexico, Great Stirrups, K in the Bahamas, NASA, Bahamas, and then back to Miami, Florida on the 15th. So that's a seven day solid week cruise and tons of Star Trek celebrities and shows and skits and, uh, recreations of the Star Trek bridge and everything. So if, if this is your thing, I mean, rock out with your geek out. Don't, uh, don't cross the streams though. In that, I mean, don't cross your fandoms because Shatner is very, uh, <laughs> he's notorious for not liking star Wars. Oh my God. Now I want to win this thing. So I just can talk star Wars to Shatner. He's like the first one to talk about, you know, Oh, we thought Jar Jar Binks was, was bad. And then it's a picture of BB eight and, yeah, he's just he's just a bitter, bitter guy. I think if it goes back to to J.J. Abrams not using him in the Star Trek reboots, I wonder if that's where that really stemmed from. I'm not a, a Trekkie or anything. I really don't follow Star Trek, but so I was kind of surprised to realize most of his uh, co actors and actresses really can't fucking stand him either. That could start a war real fast in fandom. It's like you guys are idiots. Star Wars is way better, and then you get your ass handed. I love how you give that totally politically correct not going for either side response. Um, however, I'm not an entertainer and my bread and butter does not uh, depend on my public persona. So fuck you, Shatner. Fuck you. <laughs> bag of dicks. Bag of dicks. That's such a great image, right? I want to see a whole bag of dicks getting shoved up his ass. Wow. That's just vivid. I feel a little better after getting that off my chest. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry you got any on your chest. But it's- so yeah, you got all the, all the people dressing up as Star Wars characters, people dressing up as Star Trek characters. What if you want to dress up as anime people? You know, obviously, this is the bread and butter of anime conventions, kind of. There's people that have actually made a living or crossed over into professional um, wardrobe and makeup um, gigs for Hollywood, for ma- for movies and TV. Uh, they start out on the con circuit uh, doing some really elaborate cosplay and all that. But you had to wonder, is there a point when uh, the Japanese creators are going to step in saying, uh-uh-uh, you can't do that. We own that character. There's a Japanese website that I can't pronounce, so I'll spell it out for you. It's O-S-H-I-E-T-E, exclamation point, G-O-O, goo. <laughs> it's a, an eclectic question and answer site. And they posed a question to one Japanese lawyer, and they asked whether or not dressing up in costumes based on anime characters violated copyright protection. And he answered that, you know, technically it is infringing our reproduction rights through uh, protected by Article 21 of Japan's copyright laws and the adaptation rights protected by Article 27. 
But he did admit that creating costumes for your own use is considered reproduction for personal or private use, and therefore it is technically permitted. But if you are making costumes for other cosplayers, he certainly feels that you are infringing on Japanese copyright law, and that prosecution should result from that. And a lot of people are going to think I'm a dick for saying this, but just hear me out anyways, and then call me a dick. And remember, that's at Otherworld Steve. Don't clog up the Big Ball Broadcast Twitter. <laughs> um, you know what I really have an issue with at Anime Cons? Uh, the Artist Alley, for the most part. Um, I don't know how so many artists get away with drawing straight-up anime characters without anything new brought to the fold. They're basically fucking tracing anime characters and they're selling these things for profit at cons. And I don't understand how that is incorporated infringement. If I own a con or if I ran an artist alley, I would kick all those fuckers out because I don't think you should capitalize from somebody else's work. If you bring something new to it, there are exceptions within us copyright law where you can make it your own and that's fine. And we have parody and we have fair use and that and that. But when you're doing blatant fucking ripoffs of other people's properties and you're putting that money in your pocket, I think you're a douche. And having said all of that, I think that's kind of how I feel with the cosplay thing to a certain extent. Cosplay, I think, is a little bit different because I don't know how many of these shows have actual licensed uh, cosplay gear. If they do and you're cutting in on their biz and you're a douche, if that shit isn't available, then I think, you know, if it isn't available, I don't think you have much other choice. Well, yeah, there's there certain companies that do have official like Attack on Titan outfits and Naruto and all that. And there's plenty of cosplayers out there that don't make their own costumes. They go out and, and buy on eBay or at, at shops and get, you know, officially licensed merchandise. And that's fine. That's legit. That's 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 all that. Then everyone else who, who's, you know, yeah, spending a lot of time and energy and money into the craft of creating something. I don't know, you know, at what point, you know, they, a lot of them go to the cons and then they get their picture taken. But now uh, there's this new development where some of the more popular cosplayers are now kind of asking for donations. Oh, you want to take a picture of me? Uh, I ask you to donate, uh, you know, five bucks or something like that. And, and then suddenly <laughs> it's like. You know, homeless people on the street, like, hey, can you give me a dollar? Uh, you can take my picture. You can give me the dollar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, not all of them are like even competing, uh, competing for for you know the whole money aspect of it. The whole picture thing is is kind of wild. I uh, I don't think anybody's necessarily making a ton of money off your pictures. They're not selling prints or lithos or anything. Yeah, I get that certain websites that have your, your photograph on there, they are uh, generating revenue for page hits and, and embedded ad content or whatever. But I think that's also furthering you as well as the, that creator, that cosplayer. It's getting your name and, and your cosplay out there, and it's probably what's helping you sustain your craft. So are you getting out there as a model, as a cosplay model getting promoted or is the photographer or the blogger getting exposure? Everyone benefits, right? If you want to charge for photographs, then set up your own fucking booth at a con behind a curtain and you can say, oh, step behind the curtain and take a picture with this cosplayer for five bucks. But if you're walking around a con and people are taking your picture, yeah, again, I think that's pretty douchey. Yeah. And I haven't personally witnessed this, but I've read about it on Facebook and people, uh, Fans are not happy about that. Especially after we talked about uh, a few shows back with Marvel kind of going out of the way to, to help embrace and encourage uh, cosplay from people of all 
you know, different genders and shapes. They are certainly not picking the ideal human specimens for their covers, and that is absolutely not a dig. That is sincere, that Marvel showing the true face of cosplayers on this humongous run of 21 uh, variant covers uh, portraying cosplayers. So I, I think that, yeah, it's wonderful that cosplaying is getting a bunch of attention and it's getting uh, accepted and, and it's kind of bashing some detractors about how people show their fandom. I think it's starts crossing a line when you start doing that, I watch shows, uh, videos on YouTube. Uh, this is this guy who spent a year putting together a Hulkbuster uh, costume to go to New York Comic Con with, and it's fucking phenomenal. But I never once saw him stop and ask anybody for any cash for his year-long dedication and God knows how many thousands of dollars to put this thing together. It, it, it's a, a project of passion. It's not a project of trying to reimburse yourself for your time and money. Yeah, I would think a lot of people would just be happy saying, oh, hey, I made it on the Huff Post or got a lot of hits or a lot of pictures and, and whatnot. And it's like, okay, it feels good to get your little moment in the spotlight. But the people that try to, you know, turn that into something that's like, here, I'm, I'm wearing this, this, this character I don't own. And um, yeah, give me all your money. <laughs> what? Really? And I will say in defense of some voice actors and uh other celebrities that attend conventions, I can justify them charging uh, autograph fees because you're missing out on other opportunities for employment. So I get that. You're missing auditions. You're missing, you know, casting calls. So if you're charging 20, 30 bucks for a signed headshot, granted, if you're somebody of that caliber, I, I've been lucky enough to cameo on a few uh, anime from Funimation. If, if I ever tried selling somebody an autograph, you have my permission to fucking kick me in my junk as hard as you can. But if Mark Hamill's at a con and he's charging you 20 bucks an autograph, I don't think anybody really has a right to bitch because, you know, what opportunities is he missing out on by wanting to hang out with us? And, and just having that opportunity is pretty fucking cool to begin with. It is. It is. You're paying for a moment that you may or may not ever get to have again. You know, it's not, it's not really necessarily the autograph that you're paying that money for, or even the headshot. It's that interaction. The fact that you get to talk to someone that you looked up to from a movie or a TV show or some sort of pop culture thing that meant a lot to you. Uh, it, it is a moment. And, and yeah, sometimes there, yeah, there, there's exorbitant fees. People charge, you know, crazy autograph fees. I know. I don't think Mark Hamill's 20 bucks. That's for sure. <laughs> Shatner sure ain't. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, the, the, the price goes up and this, that, and the other. And you just got to say to yourself, okay, am I ever going to meet this person again? Am I ever going to have this sort of experience anywhere else? Or is this kind of a unique, one-of-a-kind thing that you know I want to do? Uh, and yeah, yeah, your, your mileage will vary because some, sometimes those, those people, they're just there and they're just there to, to, to get the money and they'd rather be home golfing or, or whatnot. And yeah, shame on them because, you know, you know, smile, at least act like you enjoy your job, act like, you know, you, you get to do something cool, like travel to a different city and people are worshiping the ground you walk on and you're, you know, you're not barely acknowledging them. Yeah, that's shitty. Uh, <laughs> not cool. But, you know, there, uh, there's a good contingent of uh, people that do the convention scene that, uh, and yeah, the, these marketing materials, they're, they're not free. You got to you got to invest in, in printing up the headshots or the CDs or, or whatever it is these people are, are, are selling or are printing on demand books and this, that, and the other. Or the artwork. Yeah, yeah. Everything costs money. You got you to gotta spend money to make money. And honestly, I'd be really scared of getting glomped you know, or attacked by some fucking crazy fan. I don't mean attacked like in a necessarily negative way, but I don't need anybody grabbing me around my neck and slobbering all over me and telling me about how uh, that 
character was was so important to them in their life. Um, Some people could take it too far. And yeah, I I don't think I could keep that mask on. Like, yeah, I'm so happy to see you. I'd be like, security, get this fucking whack job off. (laughs) The higher up the celebrity is on the tier, then yeah, they probably have more um, of a buffer zone with staff and security that can step in and stop that sort of thing. I know that um, voice actor, a Canadian voice actor, Scott McNeil, very famously went to a convention once and a, a, a fangirl went up and just licked his face. She had really bad breath. He could still smell what she had for lunch 20 minutes later even after scrubbing his face. Do not hug people unsolicited. When you go to a convention, Carrie Fisher will just throw glitter on you. But I think uh, if you have a chance to meet Carrie Fisher, why not? You know, kids, she ain't getting any younger. So I didn't realize her mom was still alive, but it was really cool. I don't know if you caught it, Kyle, a couple of days ago on social media. She, uh, she was posting pictures of her holding Carrie as an infant, and I thought that was so cool. She was, what, 19 in the first Star Wars movie? And I guess she came out recently and admitted that she was fooling around with Harrison Ford during the shooting of A New Hope. Pre-Coke days? Pre-Coke days, and then I guess the Coke came in like around the holiday special and was very prevalent throughout Jedi. Well, in Empire, Empire and Jedi. Dude, if I had to shoot the holiday special, I'd probably become a coke addict, too. Well, she talks about, and I guess it's the same stigma we have in Hollywood today, where they really got on her about maintaining her low weight and and, uh, her shapeliness and everything. So she just felt that pressure. And yeah, I guess if you want to watch the pounds melt away, keep throwing some nose candy up there. Sony, they had the Vita come out. That's their competitor to the 3DS. In the or the DS, and now the 3DS, and now the 3DS XL, blah, 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 blah. Meanwhile, it looks like the love for the Vita has, uh, it's kind of been just uh, someone shoot this horse already, and, and that's really sad. I own a Vita. I think it's a fantastic system. But uh, the sales numbers just didn't justify its continued flourishing, I guess. Flourishing, yes. Production, marketing, and ramming this shit all down your throat is unfortunately going to continue. I got to say up front, um, I had a PSP, and initially I thought it was pretty cool, but that kind of wore off pretty quick. Part of that had to do with that proprietary, uh, the the UMDs, that kind of drove me a little nuts. And then Nintendo just seems to keep fucking knocking it out of their park with a handheld, so I don't think it was ever going to really take off to begin with. Uh, But this news comes from Sony Computer Entertainment, and they basically are saying that from here on out, all attention has been switched to the PS4 in terms of uh, first-party game development. Uh, some quotes are, currently, first-party studios have no titles in development for PS Vita. Um, at the beginning, the PS Vita did not resonate with age targets under 20, but now the situation is changing and the popularity with the younger demographics is increasing, uh, talking specifically about how Minecraft for the PS Vita the Minecraft PS Vita edition provided a boost. Um, But more so, and this is the interesting part, that in addition to that, a variety of third-party games is planned for the future, and in order to further accelerate the flow, they decided to release um, PS Vitas this fall in new colors. So, yes, they're abandoning the platform from the first party, but they're going to try to milk this thing as fucking dry as they can. Well, wouldn't you? If this is that, that emaciated horse with a leg falling off still trying to pull that cart. Uh, fuck it. At this point, just, you know, why? I, I don't think it's doing anything in the U.S. Maybe there's some another market out there in China or Japan or something that's keeping this thing afloat, but I don't know. I, I don't see it. I also think a, a big um, hit 
to the mobile device stuff is is the continued growth in tablets and smartphones. I think uh, kids and grown-ups are, you know, we're very ADD and, we, you know, there's plenty of apps that take care of that little fidgety side of everyone that feels like, I just want to play something. Oh, I forgot to charge my gaming. Well, fuck, I got my phone or I got my tablet or, you know, whatever. And, you know, the graphics are getting really good on those things. And even smart TVs, the new Apple TV with um, a motion control, like a Wii-like remote that you can now use it as a gaming device with its own app store and everything. Things, things, the, the whole climate's really, really changing. There's speculation about, you know, at some point in the very near future, we're going to have a console-less generation because of these smart TVs and, and all these abilities um, and streaming downloads and, and whatnot. I don't think that's going to happen anytime soon, not by companies like Microsoft and Sony can continue to make tons of money on the home console market. If, if that's going to happen, I think that's pretty far off in the future. I think there's going to be a, a PS5 and the next iteration of Xbox. Sony can definitely enjoy their success with you know PS4 currently, the success of Blu-ray, even in the streaming market, you know, Blu-ray and in the 4K, the whole... Uh, you know, forward notion of that with 4K Blu-ray even, you know, hitting around the holidays and early next year as that becomes more mainstream. You know, it's like, yeah, okay, they're losing money on the Vita, but they can just channel channel that money into some more forward uh, advancing. And I guess, like, the real bottom line is that when you compare Sony's handheld to Nintendo's, Nintendo just continues to make great games. You know, if you're going to continue to have a product on the market and have it sustainable, you have to have those good games. And even the couple of quote unquote good games that I would give Sony credit for, which would be the, the God of War exclusives that were on the handhelds, even those they made available for the PS3 later on. So, um, yeah, I think a big part of that has to do with the content you're providing. You know, the the killer feature that I thought was killer that I thought would actually turn things around for Vita is the playability of the PS4 games and streaming it to the Vita. So you could sit there and walk away from your TV and continue your match in a handheld version. I thought that was brilliant. But do you want to do that? Or have you ever done that? Uh, I've only done it, like, I think with Marvel vs. Capcom or... Uh, I think it only had like one title that I did that. And I did think it was pretty darn cool. And then some of the, the, the PS4 games that I downloaded as, as apps even worked really well translating over to it. I just didn't keep up with it. Can't imagine leaving the house and trying to stuff this thing in my pocket. You got to make all these other accommodations for it. But like you said, you know, I have my phone. What, what's my entertainment choice going to be now? Watch a movie, listen to music, play a game. You've got it all in your pocket already. So even with Nintendo's great games, I don't know how long that handheld market can continue to exist. Well, no, because even, you know, they were, were fighting against that that whole, you know, mobile market for, for cell phones and apps and all that until this year. And they said, OK, fine, fine, we'll make. And they stand to make a shit ton of money. I don't think it's going to hurt them in the in the long run. Look at what they're talking about, you know, uh, augmented reality Pokemon game, you know? Oh, you want to launch with something like that? Sold, you know, take my fucking money now. I mean, your phone is already your everything device anyway. It's your communication device. It's your messenger. It's your radio. It's your TV. And why the hell not? Throw in the gaming console. Why the hell not? And again, they do have a lot of money uh, to be made there. Because of the accessibility, for somebody like me, it's more of a sure shot for them to get my money than other options. What do you guys think? At BB Broadcast, 
Uh, tweet at us. Get your replies to us. Or you can even join our uh, chat room like Alan S. does every week. Uh, we usually chat uh, and do a live audio stream on Wednesday nights through otakulife.net uh, slash Kyle TV. And uh, we post that link every Wednesday night when we go live, roughly 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific. Yeah, we start late, but uh, we like we like getting the word out there. We do a live audio stream, and of course you can catch us on demand on smodcast.com. Uh, subscribe through iTunes or your favorite podcast aggregator. Uh, and... Uh, you can certainly let us know other uh, geeky news, other developments like uh, this one. This is very interesting. Harry Potter play in London is officially canon. What? Sorry, kids. It's just in London. Um, there's a play coming out in two parts. It's Harry Potter and the Cursed Child. And it's a brand new play based on an original news story by J.K. Rowling and a couple other people who I'm sure helps with the, uh, the stage production. Um, however, the big thing is this is just billed as a stage performance and, uh, you know, you'd have to buy a plane ticket and get a hotel and a car and shit. Um, but this is canon. This is, this is a canon story that follows what happens 19 years after the book series ends. Um, being something like Harry Potter, I'm sure when this run is done or maybe after it runs numerous times and is done, they, they may uh, either release an official uh, Blu-ray of the film, of, of the, the play production, or bring it up to a, a live-action film. But the only way you're going to get the continuation to the story right now, again, 19 years after, is to go to London and check out two different plays. Based on the success of the name alone, you've had the theme park in Universal in Florida and opening soon in, in Hollywood that name alone is just multi-billion dollar industry right there. People are going to flock to it, and maybe Hollywood will turn an eye to it and raise an eyebrow and go, you know what? Fuck it, let's make a movie. And then they'll make another billion dollars because it's fucking Harry Potter. Guess it's that's this generation's Star Wars. I knew it was just a matter of time before Wicked would get turned into a movie, and now it's actually happening. You know, So you have a, a really, really strong theatrical run. Eventually, Hollywood's going to go, hey... Let's throw money at this because it looks like, you know, it's a sure thing. It's wonderful because these are all people that certainly don't need any more money. But, you know, they're going to get it anyways. Would it actually feature the same cast? No, no. I mean, all these people are busy now with different projects. Or I'm sure some of them are just trying to avoid the public spotlight. Um, but I do want to segue into somebody who really could use your money and, and doesn't have tons of this now. Uh, as a lot of loyal listeners know, particularly from back in the day, I grew up in arcades. Um, during the arcade boom, I was right at that golden age where it was just so appealing uh, to be part of that environment. And absolutely without fail, my favorite game in arcades uh, came out in 1983. And it was uh, this little thing called Dragon's Lair. I, I love this game so much. I spent about a year and about $1,000 um, which I'm not proud of, <laughs> tracking down original parts so I could build my own cabinet. I didn't didn't want to plunk down a lot, a lot of money and, and buy one as it existed, but every single part of my arcade cabinet is authentic. And I was also fortunate enough to send my marquee off to uh, Don Bluth and Gary Goldman, the uh, creator and executive producer of Dragon's Lair, and have my marquee signed by them. Um, 
And even back in that day, there was a lot of talk from, from both Don Bluth and Gary Goldman about wanting to turn this into a feature film. And as recently as maybe two years ago, uh, Bluth had posted a video on his uh, website, donbluth.com, saying that in today's world, nobody wants a hand-drawn, hand-animated film that everything's digital, everything's CG. You, you have uh, Disney and Pixar ruling the box office in that regard. Um, but he's been getting pushed pretty hard. You know, if the fans want it, they'll let you do it. So the pressure finally wore him and, and Gary Goldman down both to create a Kickstarter for a Dragon's Lair movie. And uh, that's live on Kickstarter now. That started, I believe, two days ago. It ends on November 25th. Uh, Bluth and Goldman are looking for $550,000. Now, obviously, no, this is not to make the film. Uh, what they're hoping to do with this money is put together a 10-minute uh, promotional piece that they can travel around the country with and show studios and financiers to say, this is what we're talking about. This 10 minutes, we're going to turn this into like an hour and a half, two hours. Um, they're projecting right now that the actual film would cost at a minimum about $70 million to make. And being hand-drawn, uh, hand-painted cell animation is probably going to take a few years to complete as well. And uh, Booth and Goldman are getting any younger, kids. So um, I don't normally back Kickstarters, but I'll tell you what, with, with the money, the, the pennies I have rolling around in my Folgers can, um, I did make a, a small contribution because it's just it's part of my childhood for me it's so fucking epic and i'd love to see uh don bluth and gary goldman go out on a high of finally realizing the stream all these years later yeah it's been on their radar for many years back when i was a dj uh i remember corresponding with don bluth and telling him my interest in voice acting at the time i hadn't become a voice actor yet but uh you know, he said he was definitely interested and I sent him a demo and he said, hey, that's that's great. You know, we'll definitely keep you in mind. But of course, you know, for the main roles, Hollywood is going to want a name. At the time, they were talking about like David Schwimmer as, as Dirk the Daring and everything. I don't know if that climate's changed at all. Obviously, David Schwimmer is very, very popular in Madagascar uh, or if they're going to go for a different name and, and whatnot. But yeah, baby steps. And, and yeah, the whole hand-drawn thing is is, is a is a labor of love, and, and there there is a, a huge huge contingent of, of animation fans that really wish uh, that two D was still alive and flourishing, and for Don Bluth and Gary Goldman to to still hold that vision. I really really hope that this happens, and I'm glad they took to the crowdsourcing platform. That that seems like a a good way to kind of just get in the public eye. It's like look th look at this thing that we want to do. We want to hold on to that nostalgia and take it to the next level. I don't think that they could walk into a studio and pitch this and, and leave with the funding. So I think it's uh, it's pretty great that they have this opportunity in this day and age. Let the demand speak for itself. And it would really be something if they not only hit this goal, but go over, like way over. Because imagine, you know, walking into the studio with those kind of numbers. Look, this was just for a fucking promo. Help us get this and, you know, you'll do all right. It's not just the, the dollars, but the, the social media, the awareness of the public, using that to your advantage to help promote a product and, and bring it to life. It, it's so much more than just knowing the right people to get into a, a, a studio and, and make a pitch or, or, you know, give them a treatment of an idea, of a seed of an idea of a movie. It's like, it's die hard in space or whatever. You know, it's so much, it's interesting and, and cool 
to involve the fans. Absolutely. Uh, as I said, this kicked off uh, a couple days ago. Currently, it's at a hair over seventy-seven thousand dollars with nine hundred thirteen backers. Uh, again, this is a project that can use some help. Uh, I'm not asking you to throw money at it blindly, but even if you haven't been exposed to Dragon's Lair or Space Ace or Dragon's Lair 2 or the number of other productions Bluth has been involved with, like Secret and Nim and Titan AE and Land Before Time, do it for the sake of 2D animation. And with that, we got to pull the plug on another awesome episode of the Big Ball Broadcast. Thank you guys for tuning in. Uh, shout outs to Hero004 for uh, writing in. Alan S. for, for tuning in uh, in our chat room, which you can join us live on Wednesday nights, 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific. At uh, BB Broadcast is our Twitter account. Just follow that for all the latest updates. And of course, Smodco and Smodcast.com uh, to subscribe, download, stream all the uh, lovely episodes. God, my God, we're, we're almost a year old. Can you believe that? It's going to be a party coming up. Really soon. That's all we got for now. Until next time, this is Kyle Abear. And this is Otherworld Steve. See ya! Special thanks to Will Wilkins and Jason Peer. Music provided by Zero Reynolds. Follow us on Twitter at BB Broadcast and email thebigballbroadcast at gmail.com. This has been a production of Smodco Internet Radio. Sir, only at smodcast.com.